Let us read what we confess in our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9. We find that on page 483 of our Book of Praise. Lord's Day 9. That deals with the part of the Apostles' Creed about God the Father and our creation. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as a faithful Father. Let us also turn to our Belgic Confession, Article 13. That's page 449 of the Book of Praise. The providence of God. We believe that this good God, after he created all things, did not abandon them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that according to his holy will, he so rules and governs them that, this world, that in this world nothing happens without his direction. Yet God is not the author of the sins which are committed, nor can he be charged with them, For his power and goodness are so great and beyond understanding that he ordains and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to his actions surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire farther than our capacity allows us. But with the greatest humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God, which are hidden from us, And we content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ, who have only to learn those things which he teaches us in his word without transgressing these limits. This doctrine gives us unspeakable consolation, for we learn thereby that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the direction of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures so under his power that not one hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor one sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father, Matthew 10. In this we trust because we know that he holds in check the devil and all our enemies so that they cannot hurt us without his permission and will. And therefore, we therefore reject the damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God does not concern himself with anything but leaves all things to chance. After the sermon, let's sing hymn 48, stanzas 1 through 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the joy that we have in everyday living is based firmly on what we know from the Bible. Without the Bible, you won't have joy. 
In fact, the more you read your Bible, the more you get to know it, the greater is your joy and your whole sense of satisfaction and purpose in living. What we're talking about this afternoon is a a case in point. We confess that God created the world, and he also upholds and governs it. Article 13 of the Belgian Confession says, We believe that this good God, after he created all things, did not abandon them or give them up to fortune or chance, but that according to his holy will, he so rules and governs them that in this world nothing happens without his direction. The article goes on to explain what that means for us personally. This doctrine gives us unspeakable consolation, for we learn thereby that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the direction of our gracious Heavenly Father. He watches over us with fatherly care. That's a beautiful message. We have this consolation in in life that is not a single thing that happens to you except God knows it, God plans it, and God is using it for your benefit. You always know that God is in control and everything's going to work out for your salvation. Now, it is possible that someone listens to the Belgian Confession or the Heidelberg Catechism and says, those are very nice words but they only sound like words. You might be at a certain place in your life right now that you are going through a dark valley, the shadow of the valley of death. Because of illness, someone you love is in deep trouble, or your own life feels like it's unraveling, coming apart like a rope fraying. And you say, it's very nice for us to confess in the Belgic Confession, Heidelberg Catechism, my whole life is in the hands of the Lord. That's empty talk. It doesn't really apply to me. It seems like the confessions were simply written by academic scholars who pick up things from the Bible, but it's not the real world. It's not my life. When we say that, what we should do is back up a little bit and look at the people who actually wrote the confessions. Take the Belgian Confession. You know it was written by Guido de Bra in 1561. When he finished it, he threw it over the wall into the, the palace where, where Margaret was dwelling, and he did it in secret, because if he had been caught, if he had been caught delivering the Belgian Confession, he would have been killed for it. He knew that to be a, a man who read the Word of God and proclaimed it to others, he risked his life. As a young man, he joined Protestantism. At the age of 24, he saw two ministers with their wives come to his hometown and were preaching. Those four were arrested. The two ministers were publicly burned at the stake. One wife was buried alive and she suffocated. We do not read what happened to the other wife, but we can only imagine So from the tender age of his early 20s, Guido de Bra lived with the full knowledge that if you stand up for Jesus, you might very well die for it. Not long after he published the Belgian Confession, Guido de Bra was arrested. And from his prison, he wrote his young wife, Catherine of Ramon. And this is what he wrote, April the 12th, 1567. 
My very dear Catherine Ramon, my precious and most loved wife and sister in our Lord Jesus Christ, you know well enough that when you married me, you married a mortal man whose life was not sure for a single minute. Yet it has pleased our good God to give us about seven years together and five children. If the Lord had wanted us to live together longer, he has the means to make it happen. But it is not his pleasure. So his will be done, and that be sufficient to you. Remember, too, that it was not by chance that I fell into the hands of my enemies, but through the providence of my God. My God, you have let me be born at a time, an hour determined by you, and through all the time of my life, you have preserved and protected me in the face of unimaginable dangers, and you have fully delivered And now, if the hour has come in which I must leave this life in order to go to you, your will be done. I am joyful, and my heart rejoices. I lack nothing in all my troubles. I am filled with the overflowing riches of my God. And I had never thought that God would be so merciful to a poor creature as I am. Adieu, Catherine, my dear good friend. Those words speak for themselves. He was a young man leaving behind a widow and five children, and he knew his whole life was in the hands of God. He was about to die because he proclaimed the gospel. And that's the man who wrote here in Article 13, the fact that God is in the control of our lives. Everything gives unspeakable comfort. And if I have to die, that's God's plan, and he will take me to himself. Brothers and sisters, what we are about to look at more closely is something of incredible comfort. doesn't matter where you are in your life, what you're going through. That's the life that God is giving you. He is in control. And if you know that, and if you trust it, you will walk close with God and you will have comfort. And you will know where you are headed. We summarize our sermon in this way. God rules and governs all of life in accordance with his will. We'll look at providence, miracles, and then the use of sin. Can I prove to you that there is such a thing as the providence of God? I cannot prove it. I cannot prove it any more than that God created the world in six days. Or that God even exists. Or that he's a triune God. But I know it's the truth because the Bible tells us so. It is a matter of faith. By faith, I know that God created the world in six days. And by faith, I know about the providence of God, that he governs and upholds everything. So it doesn't matter whether it's a leaf unfurling on an oak tree in the spring, or an earthquake, or a volcanic eruption. It's all in the hands of God. Article 13 says, he so rules and governs them that in this world nothing happens without his direction. Yet, God is not the author of sins which are committed, nor can he be charged with them. For his power and goodness are so great and beyond understanding that he ordains and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. That's an amazing sentence. Not only is God in control, he also controls sin. 
without being the author of sin. Our article adds, And as to his actions surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire farther than our capacity allows us. And maybe you notice that part of Article 13, that there are limits. When you talk about the providence of God, you will come to the very boundary of human understanding. And when you come there, you cannot say, I don't understand it and therefore I don't accept it. Rather you say, I don't understand it. But I have an awesome God out there. He knows what he is doing. It's enough for me to know he is in control. I believe it and I am comforted. We'll also talk in this sermon about the fact that God is not the author of sin and how he uses sin, but that's our last point. Now, this whole idea of providence is foreign to the world in which we live, and yet it was not always so. If you were to study religions throughout church history, it is remarkable that not just the Christian faith, but many different religions, even the first native religion of North America, believes in a supreme, almighty being who controls all things. Paul himself speaks about that in Romans 1 when he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. The fact is, there's no such thing as an atheist. It is impossible to be an atheist. Because every human being is well aware that there is an almighty, supreme being out there in absolute control. Of course, the sad thing is, although every man knows that, he is, by his own strength, not able to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. For that, you need the Bible. Now, why is it that today, the idea of a supreme being... An almighty God in control who has providence, who makes all things happen according to his plan and his counsel. Why is that not so acceptable in our modern day? Well, part of it is we live in a very scientific, technological age. Because of science and technology, man is able to understand things he never could in the past. In the past, when there was a volcanic eruption or an earthquake, man felt that God was speaking to him. Today, a scientist will tell you, we measure that earthquake. It's so much on the Richter scale. In fact, we knew this earthquake was coming. And it's because below the earth, there are these tectonic plates, and they slip and they pop, and it causes an earthquake and a tsunami and all that kind of stuff. Science and technology can analyze and explain so many things. They can explain why light travels constantly at the speed that it does. It explains gravity. It even comes up with explanations about the the, uh, uh, aurora borealis. And because of science and technology, the idea of a god out there in control is not so popular. The other thing is, the 20th century is the century of unspeakable violence and horror. This is the time of Adolf Hitler murdering six million Jews, of Idi Amin murdering so many people in Uganda, the killing fields of Cambodia and Rwanda, abortions, people abusing children, 
by the dozens, by the hundreds. People find it very difficult to believe that there is a good God out there controlling everything. If there is a God, how can Hitler murder six million Jews? How can a man abuse, sexually abuse 25 children? If there's a God, I do not believe in a God. Of course, thirdly, there is the matter of media. Whatever happens in this world, you know it within seconds of happening. So we are bombarded today with scientific explanations, with all the horrors of our world, and it's caused the modern man not to believe that there is a God. You should be well aware of that, brothers and sisters. It's not just some interesting information I'm passing on to you, but your children, your young people, are growing up in a world that says there is no God. There cannot be a God. Science controls things. There's too much evil to be, for there to be a God. That's what your children and young people are being bombarded with. We should be well aware of that and speak very clearly and say there is a God. Even in this horribly sinful world, there is a God. And he is in control. And he has a purpose and design for our lives. So, to get it straight, we believe and we confess that God created the world in six days. When he finished creating, providence took over, you could say. God upholds the world. For instance, gravity works every day. He governs it so that everything has a certain purpose. And he takes care of us, his people. Even on the seventh day, when we read in Genesis that God rested from his work... He didn't stop working, really. Jesus said in John 5, verse 17, when talking about the Sabbath day, he said, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. God never stops. He never stops looking over his creation, taking care of it, and directing it. The Bible speaks about that again and again. For instance, Nehemiah 9, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens and even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on them, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. So not only did God create life, he gives it every day. Think also of Psalm 145. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. When you drive in the country, you see the deer in the fields. You see the birds of the air. You see the squirrels. God feeds them all. They get their food and their drink day in and day out because God gives it to them. And he also gives it to us. Our God, as Paul says in Acts 17... He ordains even the rise and the falls of nations. The fact that that Rome came into existence and fell, that's in the control of God. But also the little things. The sun shines, the rain falls, and it does it for everyone. Jesus said in Matthew 5, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on all the righteous and the unrighteous. Another amazing passage is Psalm 139, which we sang and read together. David writes there, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from, from you when I was made in the secret place. And then he says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In other words, David says, when I was conceived in my mother's womb, God, you took care of that. You watched me over the nine months when I was shaped from nothing to a baby ready to be born. Before I was born, you planned out my whole life. And now that I'm, I'm living and an adult, when I get up in the morning, you are there. I mean, even if I, in the dawn, if I could catch that first ray of sunshine and it shoots me across the ocean, Lord, you would be with me every second of the way. God plans out David's whole life. And he does it for you as well. The parents to whom you were born, God decided that. Your childhood, getting your driver's license, your first speeding ticket, the girl, the boy that you married, your first child, your career, getting old, moving to an old age facility, coming nearer to death, the cancer, the heart attack, the Whatever goes on in your life, it's all been planned out by God even before you were created, before you were made. Your whole life, everything that you would be and everything you would say and do was all planned out by God. It's in his book. It happened exactly according to that. And it's all for our good. Paul writes in Romans 8, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. And so he goes on, and he says, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, Graciously give us all things. So all those things that are happening in your life is a part of God's plan to ensure that you will know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you will experience it all your life long until one day God calls you home and takes you to heaven and eventually into a new heaven and new earth. We cannot understand all these things. We cannot explain it. How God can even oversee all that. I mean, okay, you talk about the sun rising and sun setting. But what about gravity? Every morning you get out of bed and step out the door, you don't go whoosh out into the atmosphere because gravity is working. Your body is intact every day because all the molecules and the atoms, God's watching over all of that to make sure it stays in place. It boggles the mind That God knows everything. He knows what every person in this universe is thinking. Every stirring of the wind. Every eddy in the river or in the sea. The giant squid moving on the bottom of the ocean. The satellites in outer space. The stars. God knows every one of them. And he's got them all in place. He governs it. He upholds it so that this world stays intact. And so that you, 
my brother, my sister. You have a place in this world. God takes care of you. And he ensures that you are his son and his daughter. And that it is well with your soul. That brings us to our second point, miracles. We should talk about miracles a little bit. Because miracles seem to fly in the face of providence. God's providence is that God upholds the world. That's gravity. It's all the laws of physics, of time and space. But miracles transcend those things. Miracles does the abnormal and the supernatural. We all know the dead cannot rise. The dead do not rise. I wish they could. When someone you love, you stand at their graveside, you would do anything to be able to see your loved one come back to life. But it's impossible. And the rules of life and death make it very clear to us, when you die, you are dead. You don't come back to life. But in the Bible, we read of miracles. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament. When the impossible happens, the sun stands still. A sea is parted and on dry land people can pass through. The dead are raised. The paralytic are healed. A storm is stopped by the one word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that not tell us that you cannot trust what some people would call nature or the laws of life? Understand well, brothers and sisters, that when God is in control of all things... He also has the right as creator and upholder of the world to use miracles when it suits him to save his people. When Pharaoh and his host are pursuing Israel, God performs a miracle, part the Red Sea, his people go through safe, and then the the waters close in and kill the enemy. That's part of God's providence, part of his control. He can change things for the salvation of his people. Same with our Lord Jesus Christ. When he raised the dead and he healed, he showed the mercy of God. But more importantly, Jesus got people's attention to realize that the greatest miracle of all was happening and that God's own son had come to die for sinners. But you know, brothers and sisters, when we talk about miracles, you have to say miracles is not just raising the dead or parting the Red Sea or making the sun stand still. Life in itself is a miracle. When you have a baby, that's a miracle. When you pick up your baby from the crib, your baby's crying, you pick your baby up, and your baby smiles at you. That's the greatest miracle. Your baby, your child, responding with a smile to dad and mom. You say, this is a miracle gift from God, a child. The fact, brothers and sisters, that... We have a family, a church community, that we hear the gospel every Sunday, that our sins are washed away in the blood of Jesus, and we're born again to live to the praise and the glory of God. These are miracles, gifts of God, miracles happening every day from a God who's running this world in absolute control, maintaining all the laws of physics and, 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 and uh, of speed and, and light and so on, but the miracle of looking after you to save you and make you his son or his daughter. But you know, we talk about miracles. 
But what about when we get cancer? What about the heart attack? What about living with depression? What about all the evil and the prejudice that goes on in our world? Where's the miracle then? How do I talk to a teenage girl who suffers from depression or has been abused? How do I talk about the providence of God, the great miracles of God in our life? It's very hard to see sometimes. Very hard to understand how God could allow those things to happen in our lives. Of course, we cannot minimize that. We cannot just easily explain it away. But we still can say, this is a broken world in which we live. But you know that God loves you. And he will carry you through these difficult times. And you know, one day, a great miracle will occur. When God will wipe away every tear from your eyes and bring you into a world, into a new heaven and new earth where you will know nothing about depression, nothing about abuse, nothing about people hating you and hurting you. Life is a miracle in that God gave his son to die for us and says, after you have suffered a little while and walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will take you into an eternity of perfect joy and perfect delight. And that brings us to our our final point, and that is the use of sin. Article 13 of the Belgian, Belgian Confession says, Yet God is not the author of the sins which are committed, nor can he be charged with them. For his power and goodness are so great and beyond understanding that he ordains and executes his work in the most excellent and just manner, even when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to his action surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire farther than our capacity allows us. You see, logically, if we say God controls everything and makes everything happen, then God also planned the fall into sin. Now, how would you answer that question? Did God plan the fall into sin? Did God make that happen that Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, rebelled against God, and pulled this whole world down into darkness? The answer is, of course he did. Sure he did. God is in control. God plans everything. Everything that happens in this world is according to his decree and his plan, including the fall into sin. Now here we are at the boundary of human understanding. I cannot understand or explain this, that God plans everything, but he tells me the fall into sin is not his doing. He's not the author of sin. We did it. I don't understand that, but I do accept it. Without reservation and without problem, and actually I'll tell you this, I rejoice in that knowledge. You see, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden and put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there and said, don't eat of it, it's an amazing moment. It showed that although God is the supreme creator and upholder of life, he does not want man, his image, to be like an animal that he could put a a ring in his nose and pull him around on a rope. He said to man, I want you free. As my image, you are free. And I put that tree there 
to allow you to show me whether of your own free will you want to serve me. I give you the freedom, man. I put it to you. Do you want to serve me or not? Now the answer is not. Man decided not to. But it was a moment of freedom. It was a a breathtaking moment, brothers and sisters, that little opportunity in this world where of our own free will we could say, God, we love you and adore you and we want to walk in your ways. But man decided to go the other way and to sin. And as a result, sin came into this world. But now God, who upholds and governs all things, also governs sin. And he uses it. God uses sin. And he uses it for good. Do you remember when Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, and then later on his brothers showed up there, and then and their father died, and the brothers thought, Joseph is now going to kill us because we tried to kill him. And Joseph said in, in Genesis 50, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended harm to me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. Basically, Joseph said, brothers, you sinned against me. You wanted to destroy me. God used your sin to put me in Egypt that I would provide food for you so that the people of God, the church, would survive. Later on, God would use the sin of the Jews in order to to, uh, crucify our Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in Acts 2 and 4. And all of us, God uses sin. He uses the brokenness of life for your benefit and your good. It is precisely in difficult times It's precisely when we feel the effects of the fall into sin and the brokenness of life that we realize how important is our relationship with God. James writes, count it all joy when you meet trials and tribulations because this tests your faith. That's not always so easy to understand at first. Sometimes you have to experience life to really appreciate it. I'm older than some of you. I've gone through things with my, own, with my own children. Horrific accidents that you wouldn't wish on anybody. But at a certain point, you say to yourself, I'm blessed. You know, if you have no trouble in your life, nothing to, to shake you up, life tends to become easy and you focus on the good things of life, material things, But it's precisely when you're facing the death of a loved one, horrific accident or disease, you say, I I don't care how much money is in the bank. I'm not thinking at all of my vacation. All I care about right now is that I know God loves me and he loves my family. And all I really want is to be able to, to have a relationship with God, to feel that I belong to him, to feel that there's nothing that can separate me from his love. And it's precisely in the difficult times when I'm challenged by the the pain and the hurt and the strife of life, I realize that God is using this to wake me up and bring me closer to him. 
That's something that we confess in Article 13 and particularly in Lord's Days 9 and 10. It is in the difficult times that we see the face of God. It should also remind us, brothers and sisters, that when things are going really well in our lives, don't forget your God. Don't forget that God is in control of your life and arranging all things so that when everything is just beautifully cruising along, you still say, there is nothing more important to me than God. Knowing he's my creator. He runs my life. He's taking me on a journey. A journey that will lead to a a new heaven and new earth. That in this way, both in the good times... And in the bad, I can say, my God, I love him and adore him. Amen.